Welcome to Hollowed Ground Storycast. I'm Alan. And I'm Anya. And I'm Jan. And this episode is about my lifetime affection for the book, The Paper Bag Princess. Come back when you're dressed like a real princess. This week, we are welcoming Jan Moffat to our show, who is the co-host of Clockworks, a Legion podcast, and the podcast Way Too Seriously. Welcome to the show, Jan. Thanks. I'm excited to uh, podcast with you guys. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. Absolutely. I love Way Too Seriously so much. Before we were even starting, I was telling you how much I love your show. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Always happy to have fans. I'm I'm impressed that like literally anyone listens to us at all because we just started it basically for fun sitting around our computer doing what we do just in our regular lives, which is deconstruct things. And then yeah, people started listening to it. It was great. I mean, it's such an important niche though cuz I feel like I mean, clearly your show demonstrate that there's a lot of there there when it comes to children's movies, but no one else that I'm aware of is analyzing them the way you guys do. Yeah, well, I wonder how long uh, it can continue. Like, our kids keep getting older. <laughs> I don't know if, like, we're going to have to start watching kids' movies without them to keep keep the podcast going, or if the podcast is going to have to, like, grow up with our kids. <laughs> Turn into, like, a teen movie podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So this week, uh, as Jan said, we're talking about a children's book called The Paper Bag Princess, Um, And instead of doing a plot summary, we're just going to stage a reading because we can, because it's really short. Um, If anyone feels like their copyright issues, we're not showing the pictures. And I feel like pictures are an integral part of the kids book experience. So it doesn't count. (laughs) Not the whole thing. (laughs) Elizabeth was a beautiful princess. She lived in a castle and had expensive princess clothes. She was going to marry a prince named Ronald. Unfortunately, a dragon smashed her castle, burned all her clothes with his fiery breath, and carried off Prince Ronald. Elizabeth decided to chase the dragon and get Ronald back. She looked everywhere for something to wear, but the only thing she could find that was not burnt was a paper bag. So she put on the paper bag and followed the dragon. He was easy to follow because he left a trail of burnt forests and horse bones. Finally, Elizabeth came to a cave with a large door that had a huge knocker on it. She took hold of the knocker and banged on the door. The dragon stuck his nose out of the door and said, Well, a princess. I love to eat princesses, but I have already eaten a whole castle today. I am a very busy dragon. Come back tomorrow. He slammed the door so fast that Elizabeth almost got her nose caught. Elizabeth grabbed the knocker and banged on the door again. The dragon stuck his nose out of the door and said, Go away. I love to eat princesses, but I've already eaten a whole castle today. I am a very busy dragon. Come back tomorrow. Wait, shouted Elizabeth. Is it true that you are the smartest and fiercest dragon in the whole world? Yes, said the dragon. Is it true, said Elizabeth, that you can burn up ten forests with your fiery breath? Oh, yes, said the dragon, and he took a huge deep breath and breathed out so much fire that he burnt up fifty forests. Fantastic! said Elizabeth, 
and the dragon took another huge breath and breathed out so much fire that he burnt up one hundred forests. Magnificent, said Elizabeth, and the dragon took another huge breath, but this time nothing came out. The dragon didn't even have enough fire left to cook a meatball. Elizabeth said, Dragon, is it true you can fly around the world in just ten seconds? Uh, why, yes, said the dragon, and jumped up and flew all the way around the world in just ten seconds. He was very tired when he got back, but Elizabeth shouted, Fantastic! Do it again! So the dragon jumped up and flew around the whole world in just twenty seconds. When he got back, he was too tired to talk, and he lay down and went straight to sleep. Elizabeth whispered very softly, Hey, dragon! The dragon didn't move at all. She lifted up the dragon's ear and put her head right inside. She shouted as loud as she could, Hey, dragon! The dragon was so tired, he didn't even move. Elizabeth walked right over the dragon and opened the door to the cave. There was Prince Ronald. He looked at her and said, Elizabeth, you are a mess. You smell like ashes, your hair is all tangled, and you are wearing a dirty old paper bag. Come back when you are dressed like a real princess. Ronald, said Elizabeth, your clothes are really pretty and your hair is very neat. You look like a real prince, but you are a bum. They didn't get married after all. So so thus was the paper bag princess. I guess thus is the paper bag princess. Jan, you have some production history and context to kind of share with us? Yeah, I do. I mean, we haven't mentioned yet the author and illustrator of this book. So, uh, Oh, yeah, good was, point. The paper bag princess is written by Robert Munch and illustrated by Michael Marchenko. Robert Munch in Canada is a really well-known name. You know, in the States, he's known, but he's not. Like, in Canada, he is super famous. Paperbag Princess is only his third book, but he's gone on to continue publishing until, like, he's still publishing now. So he's 68 books. And Michael Marchenko has illustrated 23 of those, so he's kind of known as the Robert Munch illustrator. Robert Munch, again, Robert Munch is so popular in Canada that last year, uh, for Canada's 150th birthday, the CBC put out a list of the top 150 best-selling books of the past 10 years. And so out of 150, 39 of them were Robert Munch books. Oh, wow. So that's, Wait, really? Yeah. Well, that also means that like a significant number of the best-selling books were children's books, yes. which was... It's surprising to me, just like in general. Yeah. And like that's in terms of just sales. So like, uh -huh. yeah. So you think about like all the parents buying books for their kids and the, you know, gifts that yeah. were given of these. But yeah, 39 out of 150. So that's like what? I'm not good at math. Anya, what is it? <laughs> like 23%-ish? Uh, uh, <laughs> slightly less than a third. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the number one book on that list was a different Robert Munch book called Love You Forever. And number and number three was the paper bag princess. So wow. this is a huge, hugely popular book in Canada. And twenty six percent. Sorry, I just did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I have in my hands a library copy because I, I own several copies of the Paper Bag Princess, but I do not own this 25th anniversary edition that has all this like extra information on the book. And so I took this out of the library for, for this podcast. Oh, awesome. Talks, yeah. So it has extra pictures that are that were drawn for it that weren't included. It has the story of uh, the real Elizabeth. So Robert Munch worked at a daycare or a preschool, I think, when he was telling, and he told them stories, and he would use the names of the kids from the preschool. Oh. And one of the and Elizabeth was the name of the one of the little girls there who acted kind of princess like. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because it is it's dedicated to her. It says yeah. on the front it says to Elizabeth and has a cute little illustration. Yeah. So all of his books have the names of real kids in them because he he goes around the country and kind of collects stories and collects names. And so then that's also partly what makes his book so popular is <laughs> is that they have a it's a, like, you know, all the friends and family of that kid are gonna buy that book. I see. Man, I feel like that's a really cool thing to have a like very professionally well done children's book that's like about you. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's an old move. You know, like Alice in Wonderland, there really wasn't Alice. And then, you know, like Peter mm-hmm. Pan. That's true. Yeah. And they like the kids in Peter Pan were like real kids that the author knew. I guess there's got to be something to that, right? Like if you're going to write about children when you're an adult, you really need to like go to the source. You can kind of remember what it was like to be a kid, but to be around children is like really something special to help inspire you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a couple of uh, kind of deleted scenes from the book that didn't make it in basically because it's a children's book and they didn't want to publish it. So she originally was going to punch Ronald at the end. Oh, man. (laughs) That would have been good, I think. If it ever gets adapted for uh, the big screen, I feel like they're going to have to add in a little bit more. There is a a play of it. I've never seen it. Really? As well. The other thing is, I sent you guys a picture of it. And maybe, I don't know if we can include this in like show notes or whatever. Oh, yeah. The original last was there's this pencil sketch drawing of her uh, just throwing the paper bag away and she's walking naked into the sunset. And I love it so much. I wish that was the real ending. (laughs) Yeah. So the real ending is a very similar picture um Mm. but it's just she's still wearing the paper bag instead of being fully liberated i mean regardless it's a beautiful picture but yeah i do agree that like thematically it would have been better served if she had shed her her paper bag Mm -hmm. it's a really good picture too because you can see like to the artist's credit i'm not going to try and say his name but uh michael marchenko Because you can see like in her body stance and yeah, it'll be in the show notes so you can see there's like a very like casual I'm done with you set to her shoulders and the way that she's throwing the bag like I don't there's like a lot of attitude even though you can't see her face. It's just all in her body posture, her shoulders. Yeah, it's great. But you can't see butts. You can't see butts for kids. <laughs> There's tons of kids' books with butts. <laughs> I know. Like, I have two small small daughters, and they think butts are hilarious. They think farts are hilarious. What was your favorite part? When the dragon goes around in 20 seconds. Did you like when she shouted at the dragon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Into his ear? Yeah. What do you think of Prince Ronald? He's mean. He's bossy. Was it good that she didn't get married? Yes. 
Why is it good? Because he was mean. You want to get it married to a good person and the best person you can imagine. <laughs> That's a good idea. That's the picture they were going to use the first time. Then the person who was in charge of making the book said, No, no, no. We can't show her butt. He is a party pooper. <laughs> what did you think of the art in the book? The art should showed her butt. But you noticed something about the dragon in the yeah. art. Yeah. Later on, his wings were really big when he was flying. And then later, when she knocked on the door and he came out for once and his wings were so small. And then when he blew, blew out all of his fire, his wings were really, really small. I did like one part. Mm-hmm. That part it looks like the whole entire background is fire. And another thing I noticed was, as you can see, his nails are not like an orangish. And then because of the fire he did, it's like an orangish reddish. Oh, yeah. And so to like not include a picture of a, of a girl's butt in a thing that was like, I don't know, like it seems like the perfect picture. I don't know why you wouldn't pick that one, but whatever. Yeah, maybe because, <laughs> I mean, it came out in 1980, so maybe it was a different time back then. Because certainly there's tons of picture books these days that have naked butts in them. Mm-hmm. There's a great one by um, yeah. Michael Ian Black, who's a comedian, and it's just called Naked. And it's about a kid who, like, thinks it's hilarious to be naked. And it's, yeah, it's a great little book. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned this at the end of the last episode when we were sort of uh, hyping up this episode. But this is one of my favorite kids' books from my childhood. And it's the one children's book that actually still own that, like, original copy that I've had since I was five or whatever. And I loved this book growing up it was my favorite and it's and yeah it's the one book that's managed to survive all of the culls sort of like going through and getting rid of the things that I've outgrown and because on the show we try and like do our favorite examples in different media I thought it would be fun to do a children's book and so yeah I'm I'm super glad that that we got you on here to talk about it and I guess um I think you might be a little bit older than me uh Jan did you also read this growing up I did yeah it was um it was published in 1980 and I was born in 81 so definitely was around okay. when I was a when I was a kid <laughs> and because you're Canadian you were like obligated to read it apparently exactly <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember it super well from my childhood I more rem- like it was a weird thing where a friend of mine when I was a teenager gave me these like tiny little versions of Robert Munch books I think she gave me like three different ones and that was the paper bag princess was one of them and like, you know how teenagers are, we're like, I have a quirky thing that I do. And so I kept these kids books in my purse. And when we were like, hanging out, I'd be like, look, I can read you all a story. <laughs> Just to be fantastic. like a quirky teen. I, w- I wish I knew I you when that. you were 15. Well, I would have been 10. So uh, <laughs> we probably wouldn't have gotten along <laughs> that well. But maybe if 15 year old me could have met 15 year old you, I feel like I would have been into that. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it wasn't until I was like a parent really reading it to my kids. And then also as a librarian, I've become a picture book expert in my past in the past 10 years. And so it's really been important to me in that like, it's a very, very well done picture book. 
because I read a lot of picture books in my life. <laughs> Would you say it's like in your like top ten, top three, or oh no, it's number one. Number one. Okay. Number one. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess if if it wasn't your number one, I would ask, like, well, then what are all of your other tattoos? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's partly it stayed number one because of the tattoo, but yeah, it's number one. The other the, number two would be uh, Mo Willems is a he is a New Yorker and writes amazing children's books as well. He's the one called Knuffle Bunny. Oh that's yeah, that's big in my house. Yeah. We love Nuffle Bunny. Yeah. I probably say it wrong, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when Anya and I were first conceiving of this show, this was like on, this is one of the first things that she put in there. And then she was like, hmm. let me buy this for your daughters because I had never heard of it. I was like, what is that? I'm so impressed with the illustrations in it and how, like you said earlier, Anya, I think they are essential to experiencing the story. Like we did a cool little radio play of it, but I don't think you're getting the full effect unless you can see the pictures because they are so important to understanding the attitude of the characters. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely agree. Michael Marchenko's style is so beautiful and arresting. And like, when you think about how to convey something like burning up, a hundred forests or like going around the world in 10 seconds or whatever, you know, like obviously that can't be depicted completely realistically. And I think the choices that they made were really good. Mm-hmm. I remember Paul and I having a conversation like several years ago about what we think of when we think of what a dragon looks like. And both of us just the dragon in this book is kind of what a standard dragon looks like. You know, it has little wings. It's got scales. It's got a pointy tail. That's just kind of standard dragon. Mm. And it has all like the weird antenna too. Yeah, it does. <laughs> are those ears? What is? I. <laughs> oh, you know, I didn't even think. About yeah. It. And like, how could it possibly fly with those wings? <laughs> yeah, you're right. But I didn't even think about it because, like, I grew up on uh, Pern books, and the dragons in Pern have like the little giraffe horn things you know, like that are the same kind of like, so in my mind, like, of course a dragon would have those, like why, if those were missing, I'd be like, what, what are you doing? You've messed up. But yeah, you're right. (laughs) Like that's not necessarily a thing. He is and the dragon has like this great, like kerchief thing. And like, it looks so weird. It always looks like it's so sleepy (laughs) or so tired or so proud, like just from the body stance and like the art is so good. Yeah. And it does, it evokes that dragon, but it also is like, it's singular to the story, even though it does like have that archetypal dragon look. It's so good. Mm -hmm. Growing up with this book, I wonder in retrospect, how much it really impacted me and sort of like insulated me from falling into the classic Disney princess narrative because mm-hmm. I you know I watched all of the classic Disney princess movies and I liked them but I was never like really that into them aside from the little mermaid but that was all about being a mermaid it was Prince Eric had very little to do with <laughs> my love of that movie or sort of like how I projected myself onto it like growing up I never felt like I was ever 
waiting for the prince to rescue me or that was never like a narrative that I was really invested in. And like, I wonder how much this book has to do with that. And and like, I think maybe a lot. I don't know um, if I could go back and talk to six year old me. Like, honestly, I probably wouldn't give very <laughs> satisfying answers, but um. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to know what exactly influences you at that young of an age. But I feel like even like reading it to my daughters, it's influenced them. And we've gone away with like, what is the, you know, moral of this story is don't marry someone who isn't nice to you. It's good advice. That's literally what my kids think this book is about. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they, for them, it's like, it's not even necessarily about like, the like independence or the cleverness yeah. Because maybe they even just take all of that as a given. Yeah, exactly. They, they haven't been sort of conditioned to not think of themselves as like a capable main character in their own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Don't marry someone who's not nice to you. Your kids, from what you tweet about them or mention on your Way Too Seriously show, they, they seem very astute. And I mean, like, that's probably a consequence of being raised by a librarian and a professor of English. You know, I think you guys recently tweeted that you guys are reading to them The Hobbit. And they're like, are there really no women in this story? Can we like, can we change it, guys? Can we, this was like a request of your children of like, there's not enough women in this story. Yeah. Our oldest daughter uh, is nine and she's definitely become more like self-aware of these kind of things recently. And obviously it's because we have... She's growing up in a household with Paul and I who are up front with all this stuff and like, hey, notice that there's no women characters in this thing we're reading. But but yeah, with The Hobbit, she completely noticed it all on her own. We didn't even think of it, even though I had heard about other parents making Bilbo a woman or making other characters uh, other like there's so many dwarves that you can just like, Mm -hmm. oh, and Feely and Keely were female. Like, it doesn't matter. I love that. Yeah, it was her idea. That was really cool. Oh, that's so interesting. That never would have even occurred to me. Yeah, I've definitely read a few different stories online about parents changing like the Donkey Kong, I think, to make instead of Mario, it's a princess <laughs> doing, the, doing like the Donkey Kong. Oh, thing, I've read that code. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So and then of course you'll hear the backlash on it and like, oh, oh how please. dare they change such a thing? And like right. it's just so like a kid can play it and feel like it's them. <laughs> that is what I do love about this book is that I mean like obviously a lot of thought went into it but as you're reading it it feels very unselfconscious it's just like well of course Elizabeth is gonna try and go get her boyfriend back you know have to deal with this dragon using her wits to get herself through it it feels very matter of fact and while you're reading it you like you're impressed with what she's doing but you're not like questioning any of it absolutely and i think the idea of a princess saving a prince is not like the most you know groundbreaking idea in the world but what makes this book unique is that they have uh her reject him at the end it's not that she rescues him and they go off and live happily it's that she rescues him and discovers oh he wasn't Mm -hmm. really worth rescuing i'm just gonna go off by myself now and that she's not upset about that like she's very joyful at the end she's liberated yeah she's she's like great i found out that you're not worth Mm -hmm. my time now i can just go do my own thing and it deconstructs a lot of other things about the way that young girls are acculturated. So like, for example, the fact that she wears a paper bag, you know, she's like covered in ashes. She's lost all of her fine things. 
So she's not, um, you know, typically beautiful in that way. She doesn't have beautiful clothes. She, her hair is a mess. She's dirty. And then she has no, you know, like magical weapons or powers. She only has her wits. And so I think in a more standard, like, you know, like Cinderella, for example, to contrast it with this, she is also like dirty and, you know, like has no magic. But then the wonderful thing that happens to her is that all of that is inverted, right? That she becomes beautiful, that she has a wonderful dress, she has glass slippers, and she gets to go to the ball with the prince. Like that's the wonderful thing that happens to her. And then in this story, and none of that happens because of her own capability. It happens because of like her virtue as a hardworking, mm-hmm. you know, meek woman who doesn't uh, cause trouble. Then the magic comes in and says, oh, you you have behaved in a royal way. We will elevate you to a royal status. And in this, like all of her royalness is stripped away. She wins by virtue of her mind, which is not uh, another, you know, typical thing that little girls are taught to value in themselves. I feel like in the culture, that's something boys are clever. You know, girls are pretty caring and loving. They're not smart. They're not brave. They're not tricky. And I feel like this story like deconstructs Mm -hmm. all of that in a very intentional way. But like you said, Anya, it also does it in a really natural Mm -hmm. way where you don't, I don't feel like it's, it's forced. It's not being preachy. It's like, it's fun and satisfying. I also really like that we never get to see her get beautiful again. Yes. Afterward. The story ends with like her still being dirty and disheveled and, you know, not having her fine clothes. And she's like perfectly happy and fine and complete without all of that. Yeah, that's really true. Mm. And she's very... um She's really shrewd is the word that I would use to describe her because she not only is resourceful and like makes herself a dress out of a paper bag, she then is clever enough to defeat the dragon using her wits. Like resourcefulness is a yeah. not a, often a female trait in stories. You often get you have you know the boy scouts are the ones who are able to to figure things out and the and girls are no don't get to do that. So this it's a good reversal of that. So we've just talked a lot about about how awesome we think this book is. Um, but Jan, do your kids feel the same way about it? Uh, is this like on their top five or number one picture book slot? They do. They like it. They they know that I like it a lot. And so it might be hard for them to admit if they don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's but fair. I have a little recording of my oldest daughter talking about it that I'll send to you. I don't know, I just like it because it's a princess rescuing a prince. And I like how it starts off, she's a beautiful princess. And she's in love with a handsome prince. And she just puts on a paper bag and goes to rescue the prince. And she ends up not rescuing him, because she doesn't want to. Most stories are all about princes rescuing princesses. So I like it that it's a princess rescuing a prince. Yeah, that's true. And I like the end where she just said, you're not a prince. You are a bum. (laughs) Why do you think that I have a tattoo of this? Because it's a great book. Mm -hmm. They like the hey dragon part, because I always, when I read it to them, I really emphasize the hey dragon (laughs) yelling. And so there's also, there's just the entertainment quality of, of the book. But 
definitely we've talked about it and talked about how like hey isn't it cool that she saves the prince and because they've seen like all the disney princess movies and whatnot so they they do enjoy that and they enjoy uh being strong girls and always questioning things like we're very much teaching our kids to always you know question authority except for we don't want them to question our authority always it's <laughs> tricky so right kind of yeah. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> It's like always Paul Paul always says like, you know, smash the patriarchy, except not me, because I'm your patriarch. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to me sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you just have to clean up your toys and brush your teeth and whatnot. But yeah, I, I don't know if it would be their favorite in the way that it's mine, but they definitely mm-hmm. love this book. You know, part of me even wonders if like growing up 30 years after we did i mean like this book will always be good but as it becomes like less necessary and critical as sort of like a counterpoint to the dominant cultural message like it makes sense that that it would be less dear you know because yeah, because it it feels less important right it's like just a nice story as opposed to like something that you cling to as as like part of an identity or a, a really intentional like philosophical stance yeah absolutely although like to be honest we're raising our kids to be like feminist and we try to do our best to be like gender neutral in a lot of in a lot of ways but i work with kids and i see kids all the time in my when i, when I work at the library and so many parents come in and they go, where are the books for girls? Where are the mm-hmm. books for boys? Yep. But I don't want this thing because it's pink. I don't want this thing because it's blue. I don't want, you know, it's not all that different these days, sadly. You feel like it's getting better, oh, but that's it's not. True. <laughs> I guess it's like getting better in pockets. Exactly. And then in some places, yeah, I guess. So I don't have kids, so I don't really experience this all the time or on the same level as a lot of people. But apparently capitalism in some ways is like increasing gender specialization just because when we were growing up in the 80s there were just toys and then they realized that oh we can make more money if we sell the same thing in the pink and the blue version because then the parents have to buy one for each um instead of you know having something that could be shared between boy girl siblings Oh, it's like even it's worse than that (laughs) it's like it's so much worse. You can probably speak to this too, Jan, but like what you're saying is true. There's the blue and the pink one. But then if you want to go buy the pink one, it's more expensive. It's yes. And it's exactly really? the same thing. Yes, it totally oh, absolutely. is. Absolutely. It always is. And a lot of times it's of poorer quality too. Like if it comes to like clothes or something like that. Oh, it's a Star Wars shirt. It's One is pink and one is black. Like, what's the difference? The difference is the pink one is crappy material. Like, that's the difference. And it was $5 more, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, my God. Yeah. Absolutely. And when we've tried to, you know, encourage our kids, like, hey, you can get whatever sneakers you want. You don't have to get these sparkly pink sneakers. You can get whatever ones you want. But then when my oldest went to school, she got made fun of for wearing boy shoes. And mm-hmm. when you think about, you know, that came from somewhere. That little boy didn't just suddenly know that 
those shoes are boy shoes. He was told by his parents or by his grandparents or whatever that those shoes are boy shoes. So it's it's really frustrating sometimes to parent with that with those attitudes around. Yep. When my girls went to school for the first time, like my oldest was very into the Nickelodeon reboot of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and she like she loved that show. And mm-hmm. Michelangelo was like her favorite. She was so into it. And then she went to school. She had like her Ninja Turtle shirt on and came home like so ashamed and upset. Like she was mad at us because that is not a girl show. Like all the girls were upset about it. All the boys were upset about it. And she said, why did you let me watch this show? And tried to explain to her like, oh my God. Yeah. Like you can like whatever you want to like. And she's like, I just want them to like me. Mm -hmm. And so it's very hard, you know, culturally to try and raise a kid gender neutral and they have to have a lot of internal resilience, you know, like it's kind of exhibited in this story, but that's tough. You know, it's hard for little kids. I don't remember any of that. I don't know if I just like was a kid that had a lot of internal resilience or if maybe I was raised in a community that was a bit more tolerant or it's honestly, I was perhaps just oblivious to like how uh, people were making fun of me. And then I had my friends who didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) I have a distinct memory of like, (laughs) I have a distinct memory of like in fifth grade, suddenly like realizing that fashion existed. (laughs) Um, Cause I had, I mean, my parents are hippies. And so I had just never gone shopping for clothes before. Like all of the clothes that I had were I think mostly hand-me-downs or like things that my mom got at secondhand stores, but like I clothes would just like show up and then I would wear them. (laughs) And then, and then fifth grade, I was like, wait, I want a pair of blue jeans. And I'd like never had a pair of jeans before. And we like went to the store and bought them. And it was sort of like, Oh my God, this whole thing exists that like I've never thought about before. That sounds exactly like how I'm raising my kids. Right. All their like like secondhand clothes and stuff. Like, yeah, we just go out and buy them clothes. <laughs> at some point, they're going to care what they wear. But yeah. At this point, like, yeah. honestly, the longer you can, like, live in a bubble and not know yeah. that, like, the better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, it's not worth worrying about. <laughs> so, Jan, tell us about your tattoo. How did that happen? They did it with a gun. And a, Okay, sorry. <laughs> yes, yes. Step by step. <laughs> what <Okay>. happened? <laughs> It's a bit of a long, I don't know if it's a long story, but it's a story. I, at about 32 years old, kind of had a little freak out about that I wasn't the main character in my life, that I was kind of had been a supporting character for like all of my friends and my husband and whatnot. And I had a little mental freak out. And so I made this list of things to do before I would turn 40. And one of those things was to get a tattoo because I'd been thinking about it for a long time and I'd always chickened out and I was always like... I was grew up in a household that was very like, no, don't get a tattoo. Not for like really moral reasons, but for like, my mom works with uh, the elderly and she would always be like, all those old, any of those old people that have tattoos, they look so gross when they get old. Don't ever get one. (laughs) So I definitely had it in my head that I shouldn't get one. And then, you know, I started meeting more people and like, I went to the pool one day and I was like, literally everyone in this pool has a tattoo. And like, I'm like, it's really not as big of a deal as I've been thinking about it. So then I was like, well, what should I get? And I thought about this book and I thought about, I'd seen someplace like, Hey, paper, a paper bag princess tattoo that someone else had. And I was like, 
this book is really important to me. This idea is really important to me. This claiming of your own identity is really important to me because that was kind of what led to me wanting to get the tattoo in the first place. And so I was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to get. And uh, it's the the image is just her leaping on the on the last page. Oh, that's awesome. And it's just sort of like the silhouette. It's the black, yeah, it's the black silhouette on my ankle of her leaping into the air. So sometimes people will think it's like a frog or something because her legs are together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I can see that. Bend, yeah. <laughs> I had one person who recognized it on site and I was really happy. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, honestly, I don't even know if I would have recognized that on yeah. site because of all the times that I've read this book, I think I never paid that much attention to the very last image mm-hmm. and the bag is not super obvious in, in that, that yeah if, i think if i were to do it again i would do i might do a colored one i might do it differently but too late now <laughs> that silhouette's also like the only time in the story where she's not wearing the crown is in that picture too so it, that's it would true be, yeah yeah it would be a little bit i could see like on my version of the book on the front it has um a a starburst thing that says classic munch and in the middle of it it has that silhouette and looking at it i'm like does that look like a frog it totally looks like a frog so (laughs) yeah i can see why somebody might say that there's um that image is actually the logo for anik press which is the the company that publishes robert munch books and lots of other books so part of that's another reason why i chose specifically that image was because anik press publishes children's books and picture books. And I am a huge fan of, and in my professional life, work with picture books all the time. And Anik Press has a really awesome policy of uh, highlighting First Nations and Métis and Inuit picture books. It does like multicultural Canadian books, and it's just a really uh, good publishing company. So to have their logo on my ankle is also cool too. Oh, I like and, that. Uh, yeah, so it's got a few different, like it's kind of multifaceted, the meaning behind why I got it. It also kind of just represents my kids and like their joy because it looks like it's just a joyful little girl leaping into the air and that's exactly what my kids are. Yeah, that's awesome. Basically, that's the whole meaning behind it. <laughs> I tend to explain that too much when people ask me. <laughs> some people are really cagey about their tattoos like oh don't ask me about them or whatever and some people are, and i'm the kind of person who's like yeah let me tell you all about it and the whole reason i got it and everything <laughs> and actually i have the book in my purse right now would you like exactly. to <laughs> so do you recommend i mean i guess as a librarian your job is literally to recommend books to people um, I guess, has anyone ever reacted negatively? Like, has anyone been like, how dare you, this liberal <laughs> socialist propaganda? I'm trying to think whether anyone has. I I can't remember anyone reacting negatively in that way. I would say uh, at the library, if I recommended it to a boy, they would probably, the parent might be like, oh, I don't want a princess book mm-hmm. for my boy. So that might be the only kind of negative reaction I would get. But mostly it's all positive, and I've given it as gifts to you know parents when they friends when they have kids or whatever. This is definitely my go-to baby shower present for people, and especially um, for girl babies, I guess. Um, so I've I've probably bought 
four or five copies of the book to give away as presents at this point. You know, (laughs) it is a weird thing. Like, I have never gotten the book as a gift for someone who's having a boy child. And I never really thought too hard about that until we were getting ready for the show. I was just thinking, you know, like, why don't I give this book as a gift to boy children? I mean, like, it should. There's no reason why they couldn't also enjoy the book as well. Absolutely. I I just was actually thinking the exact same thing, that I've only ever given this to girls, and I should give it to boys, too. There's no reason not to. It's a good message for them to get as well, to, like, um, see girls as, you know, like, main characters deserving their own story, and that independently from male characters, is that that's, like, the whole thing, right? Is that, you know, if you're a male or specifically like a white male and you grow up only ever reading stories where the protagonist looks like you, then it feels like an attack. If suddenly people are making stories where now the protagonist doesn't look like you. Absolutely. Um, Or only the antagonist does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it's the, you know, being able to build empathy with, you know, people who aren't you with female people is it's like a learned thing right Mm -hmm. and so if all little boys were given the gift of reading this book as young children then like maybe they'd be more empathetic towards girls and more open to female characters later on as like teens and adults yeah absolutely absolutely i think i know what my nephew is getting for his birthday now that i've listened (laughs) (laughs) nice i think you're right (laughs) He's he's still a little guy. He's not in uh he's not in school yet. So I think he would actually really like this because you know the like the pictures alone are are pretty good and it is a learned I think you're right that it it is a a learned skill to like, you know, see people who don't look like you and to learn that um they also matter like kids are notorious like anybody who has kids they're like little narcissists. They just, you know, like me me me. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but at the same time, they're also pretty oblivious. Like, you know, I was saying earlier about, you know, my daughter didn't think about the fact that Ninja Turtles might not be for her until someone told her that it wasn't for her. So at the same time, like, if you yeah. read this to a young boy, like if he hasn't been told, oh, princesses, you shouldn't learn about that. If he hasn't heard that message yet, then he could internalize this in a way to be like, yeah, of course, princesses are awesome and princes are awesome and everybody's awesome and you're awesome and I'm awesome. So that would be, you know, a really valuable thing to have as a small child. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot in here that should appeal to anybody of any gender like the interaction between her and the dragon is really funny and her cleverness for how to overcome that is really cool and like male kids should be able to to enjoy that and even like see her as sort of like a aspirational role model even if they're not the same gender yeah absolutely well i think that wraps us up for this month come join us next month for an episode on Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood with special guest Sarah, uh, also known as other underscore girl on Twitter. And don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. 
that's the best way for us to find new listeners. And in the last month, we did have a couple of people leave us some reviews, and we saw those and really appreciate them. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to get all of our poems done in time for the recording. Uh, But next month, we will include your haikus as we promised. So Jan, where can we find you on the wild world of the interwebs? Uh, you can follow me on my personal Twitter at JLMO, J-A-Y-E-L-L-E-M-O. You can find my podcasts way too seriously and Clockworks, uh, goodstuff.fm slash WTS. Uh, you can support us on Patreon and find our podcast there on patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Awesome. And I am Anya, and you can follow me on Twitter at StrangelyLiteral. That's Strangely, then L-I-T-E-R-L. I'm Alan, and you can follow me on Twitter at ChipperAllen. You can follow the show on Twitter at HGStoryCast, and visit our website at HGStoryCast.com. And if you want to uh, get the links to everything that Jan mentioned, uh, that will all be in the show notes. Uh, so you can go support her Patreon and subscribe to her excellent shows because you should do all that. Yeah, definitely go listen to Way Too Seriously. You don't have to watch the movies necessarily before listening to the episodes. I would say um, The Little Prince is the only movie that I've gone out of my way to watch before I listen to the episode, which you should also definitely do. The Little Prince episode... um, is just amazing and the movie is also amazing um and now i'm so distracted i've gone (laughs) off on a wild tangent um (laughs) but yeah uh you can totally listen along and appreciate everything without having watched um the movie ahead of time and yeah if you'd like to leave us feedback you can visit hgstorycast.com contact or send an email to contact at hallowedgroundmedia.com thanks so much Hallowed Ground Storycast is a Hallowed Ground media production and is produced under a Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license.